Good morning, Eastside. It is my honor and privilege, but absolutely my joy to be back with you once again. I've been looking forward to this for several weeks since Brother Matt uh, asked me to come and, and fill his pulpit. I really appreciate him doing that. And today, preparing for today has done me much good in seeing so many familiar faces. I really appreciate you being here today. As you open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to put in a little plug for experiencing God. How many of you have sat under that study before? Several of you, awesome. Uh, this study is probably 30, 35 years old or so, uh, but it is very important. Uh, if you sat under it before, I encourage you to sit under it again. I've sat under it once, and then I've taught it on two different occasions. So I've been involved with this study three different times, three different times, and each time I've learned more and more, and this will uh, help you understand more about God's character, more about His holiness, more of how He works in our lives. So if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to know God on a more intimate level, I cannot uh, explain enough how important this study will be in your walk. So next Sunday night, it begins. And what I told the last time I uh, taught it, I, I told I, in my church, I said, hey, Give it three weeks. Commit to three weeks. I'm going to ask you to do the same. Commit to the first three weeks. And if you're not getting anything out of it, don't come that fourth week or following. But if you commit to these first three weeks and God speaks to you and moves in your life like he's done in mine and like I've seen him do in many others who sat in this study, it'll be worth your time and effort and energy to come back on Sunday nights. Will you do that? Will you commit to the first three weeks of this study to see how God moves through this study? Now, last time I did this and gave that uh, request, people came that first night, came back the second time. No one dropped out. And through the study, we even added a few because God works through the study. That's why it's still one of the most powerful Bible studies out today. Uh, so I'm excited for you as you're going through that. And I encourage you to do And Start tonight. Some, some people don't come back to church on Sunday nights. Don't wait till next week. Start tonight. I'm going to be back tonight. And I look forward to bringing the message tonight as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 is where we will be. Pray for me today, not only right now as I bring this message, um, but at 2 o'clock in Sylvania, I'll be preaching a funeral, and then I'm coming back tonight. So today's going to be a very busy day. Uh, pray. And normally I have Sunday afternoon naps. Well, that's going to be cut out today. Uh, so pray that God strengthens me to make it through this day. The title of today's sermon is Sharing in Christ's Sufferings. Sharing in Christ's Sufferings. At times it seems that life is filled with suffering. We've all gone through periods of suffering, whether it's health issues. Move that down a little. Losing loved ones, financial crisis, families being torn apart, many other examples of suffering. The Bible teaches us that we should expect to suffer. And there's a few reasons, I'm only going to list a few reasons, there are more, of why we suffer. Uh, the first one is we live in a fallen world. Genesis chapter 3, suffering is a result of sin in our world. Another reason is we suffer because of our own sin and rebellion. An example of this is Jonah. Jonah suffered through his own sin, his own rebellion of God. This also is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 6 through 11. Another reason is we suffer to keep us from sinning. As God did with Paul, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being prideful, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. 
We also suffer in order to perfect our character. God brings suffering into our lives that we may be perfected. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And we also suffer because we live a godly life. And that's what we're going to look at today. So I want us to leave here today with a good understanding of how God works in and through our suffering. And it begins with a high view of God. And that's something that um, is not spoken of much in today's world. You don't hear people encouraging others to have a high view of God. Uh, what happens when we suffer? We tend to look inward, and that diminishes our view of God because we're looking internal and at ourselves and at our circumstances and how life's not fair. Why is this happening to me? And our view of God lowers as our view of man raises. So it starts with having a good understanding of suffering for Christ's sake and suffering in Christ's sufferings, it starts with a high view of God. We must have a high view of God. And I say that, we must have a high view of God. Tonight we're going to talk about we must have a high view of Scripture. And these two work together. So don't minimize God. Don't look inward. Instead, we encourage you to look upward. So as we begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to establish the context. We need to understand what we're reading uh, and, and the the time that, we, that it happened and occurred, if we look back uh, on the next page backwards, 1 Corinthians 16, we see Paul's plans to visit the church in Corinth again. He says in verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So Paul is telling them, hey, I'm going to come back soon. So in 2 Corinthians that soon, he, he planned on visiting them shortly, that soon took a lot longer than he expected. So Paul's enemies, uh, Jewish leaders, religious leaders in the Jewish community, they didn't like Paul. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Paul. He wasn't very popular. He got kicked out of almost every town he ever entered. Wasn't a popular guy. He gets kicked out of almost every town he enters. So these Jews, some of these religious Jews we're going to look tonight, they follow him from town to town in order to stir up a, an uproar and to get him kicked out or beaten or stoned or worse. So Paul's not popular. He doesn't hold his promise of coming shortly. So these religious Jews who are anti-Paul anyway start plugging the ears in the church and, and telling, hey, Paul's not an apostle. So right now as we read this scripture, we're going to read it in the context of Paul defending his apostolic authority. Paul is an apostle, although he was being attacked and, and claimed not. He didn't say, hey, this is why I'm an apostle, because I'm suffering the same sufferings of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Let us pray. Father, as we open Your Word and dive into the truth of Your Word, I pray that You uh, speak that truth to our hearts and imprint it upon our soul so that we know that it's truth and then we can see how it applies to us today. So, Father, help us to know and to trust that you are the God of all comfort, that when we are in any affliction, you are there and, and you will deliver us. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your presence in our lives today. If anyone is here today who is outside of saving faith in Christ, I pray, Father, that today is the day of salvation. Father, for those of us who are in Christ, who have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Father, may we pursue holiness and pursue Christ-likeness and godliness with all of our energy, no matter what comes knocking on our door because of us seeking righteousness. Father, we know that you will comfort us and we know that you will deliver us. So, Father, thank you for who you are and what you are doing in our lives and in this world today. And that can be accomplished through your son, Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. I was reading from the English Standard uh, Version, so if it was a little different from the translation you have, it's all right. It's all the same word of God. One point I want to make as we begin is that God comforts us through strengthening uh, us to endure. God comforts us by strengthening us to endure the affliction. We think of comfort today, right? When we're children and we get a scrape on our knee, who do we run to? We run to mama. What does she do? She puts a Band-Aid on it and she kisses it and makes it better, right? That's how we view comfort in our world today, that, well, the pain is gone. But when God speaks of comfort, it's, and what we look here is that God gives us the strength to endure the affliction. He doesn't always take the affliction away. But he always strengthens us to endure that affliction. Know that. Also know that God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. Oh, but we're proud Americans. And what do we live for each and every day? Comfort. How many of you would have stayed here today to hear a sermon if the air conditioner wasn't working? We, we are comfort-minded people. We live to be comfortable. God does not comfort us to be comfortable. Understand that as well. And that doesn't sit well with us. We don't like hearing that, but it's the truth. The first point we're going to look today is that God works in us. God works in us. Verse 9b. Paul's talking about in verse 8 and 9 that uh, he didn't name specifically uh, this affliction that he was experiencing, but this was one of the reasons why he was delayed in returning to them is that things were going on. And, and we look uh, later in 2 Corinthians and we see a lot of what Paul had experienced. He experienced beatings, 39 lashes. He was stoned at one time, and the people who were stoning him walked away. Why? They thought he was dead. They didn't stone people and let them live. The whole purpose in stoning people was to kill them. Capital punishment. They thought Paul was dead, so they quit throwing the stones. They walked away. Paul's uh, buddies walked up. His friends walked up. Paul gets up and walks away with them. So Paul suffered mightily for the sake of Christ. 
So we don't know exactly which affliction he's speaking of here in verses 8 and 9. And that allows us to, to put ourselves in that place. And Paul didn't say this is specifically what God did uh, and name that specific. So him leaving it open allows us to put ourselves in his place. He says in verse 9, Indeed that we had felt we had received the sentence of death. Whatever affliction Paul is speaking of, he had resigned himself to die. He said, I'm not going to make it out of this. How many of us have been in a situation where we didn't think we would survive? A car accident. I remember cleaning carpet at Daniel Defense and the security guard there who had to shadow me while I'm cleaning carpet there because it's high security. I got to speaking with him. Chance was with me and Chance saw that, that I was taking a conversation to an eternal conversation. So Chance took over carpet cleaning and me and the security guard talked about uh, the next life. What happens next? What, what's going to happen when you die? Do you, do you know God? Uh, do you know his son? Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And he started telling about a car accident he was in that he shouldn't have ever survived. And God saved me. I was like, well, that's great. That's a physical salvation. What about a spiritual salvation? Are you saved spiritually? So I got to plant the gospel and plant a seed in that man's life. But that's, that's the thought Paul had while he was enduring this affliction. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to walk away from this. I'm not going to survive this. Now we hear of people in these situations and what happens? Their life passes before their eyes, right? And they end, oh man, now somebody tell my family I love them and all these things that happen. But Paul says, hey, this was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. God works in us. Paul urges us to trust in God and in Him alone. What do we like to trust in today? We, we quickly trust in our strength. We trust in our abilities. We trust in our education. We also trust in our experiences. Well, I've already done this, so I can do that again. And we tend to trust in things that are not God. So Paul really encourages us to do that. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 67, this is how God works in us. Psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And in verse 71, he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So God uh, works in us. He, at times, he brings these afflictions to us. Sometimes these afflictions that we endure and encounter are from him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then in verse 10 and 11, he disciplines us for our good, that, he may share, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So at times the affliction is from God. But also at times the affliction is a natural result of godly living, of us living a godly life. Verse 5, we see, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Sharing abundantly in Christ's sufferings. In John chapter 15, we're familiar with John 15. I'm going to turn there and read uh, verses 18 through 21. John 15, we're, we're familiar with verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Beginning in 18, he says, uh, regarding uh, suffering and enduring affliction for the strength, why 
Why do we suffer that God works in us? Affliction comes from him, but it also comes from living a godly life. Jesus says this, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So this affliction at times is a natural result of the world hating Jesus. And therefore, if we're living a godly life, if we're striving for Christ's likeness, if we're pursuing Christ's likeness, the world's also going to hate us. How often do we try to combat that and be friends of the world? What does Jesus say about those who are friends of the world? If we're friends of the world, we're, we're enemies of God. How often are we trying to be friendly with the world and engage in worldly things to be like the world? Romans 12, 2 comes to mind at that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It, it, it happens. In living for Christ and, and striving to become like Christ, and that's a work that God does in our lives, but in living a Christ-like life, persecution is guaranteed to come. Now, that's not telling us to go seek out persecution. The Bible nowhere, nowhere does the Bible tell us to go look for suffering, to go enter into this um, intentionally. But that when it comes in our direction, we're not to run from it. God will strengthen us to endure as he comforts us. We also read of suffering for righteousness sake in 1 Peter chapter 3, 14 through 18. You can write that down as a reference. I won't go there and read that. But God works in us. God works in us. What is he doing in his working in us? He is conforming us to his son. That matters for a believer. It should matter for you today. If, if you got up this morning and never even thought about becoming like Christ, there's a disconnect in our relationship with God. How, how many mornings do we get up and we think, God, thank you for this day. Make me more like your son. That likely doesn't happen in our lives. Why not? We're more consumed with the world than we are with Jesus. And when that becomes evident to us, how do we respond? This morning, how do we respond to that comment? If you desire to be right with God, the only response is that we confess our sin and we repent. And that right now, as I'm speaking, we're saying, God, forgive me, because I have not been focused on being Christ-like. I call myself a follower of Christ, but I'm not really following him. How does that work? I've, I, I'm, I've been there, and at times I still find myself there. I call myself a follower of Christ, but yet, truth put in front of my face, I haven't been doing a lot of following. We, we can call ourselves anything we want, right? We can say anything we want about ourselves, but go read Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. That's the most humbling scripture, in my opinion. Most humbling scripture. Jesus said, and many, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. So many of us church people today, many who call themselves followers of Christ, Jesus 
He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because we aren't following him. It's just something we've said about ourselves. God works in us through our affliction. Not only does he work in us, he also works through us. Verse 4, we're talk, or verse 3, we're talking about the God of all comfort, amen, who comforts us in all our affliction so that. I love the word so that. When I'm reading scripture and I see the phrase so that, I've taken the practice of underlining that phrase. It's a purpose clause. There's a purpose in everything God does. God doesn't do things just to do them. There's a purpose in everything he does so that when we see the phrase so that, let that bell go off in our head. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort by which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. We as Christians ought to be willing to suffer the sufferings of Christ since we know that they bring spiritual good to us personally and blessings to others as we share God's comfort with them. Uh, there's a story of a pastor of a church and within that church, there was a couple who had been visiting. Uh, the woman, the wife, was pregnant, has the child, and several months later, this newborn baby dies. So the pastor comforts this family and counsels this family and ministers to this family. And through him ministering to them and what God was doing in their life, they trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then only a couple years later, a similar occurrence, a lady in the community who was not a believer loses her uh, her child who was a toddler and the pastor was called on again to minister so he goes to this woman and ministers to her and tries to comfort her but it seems like nothing he's saying is, is seeking, seeping in it feels like everything is bouncing off a wall but this mom who several years earlier had experienced this comes to this mom who had just lost her baby and said I walked through this and God got me through this God called on me, and through my darkest day, I came running to him. Seek him, and he will get you through this as well. So what the pastor couldn't do, another individual who had walked that mile was able to comfort this woman. So God allows us to suffer. God brings suffering in our lives, not only to make us and conform us more into the image of his son, but also so that we can comfort others. How many of us have been comforted by someone else? In a time of pain and affliction and suffering that we just couldn't see tomorrow coming, we didn't think we could ever get out of the bed, and yet someone comes knocking on the door, and it's a great source of comfort. And also, God has used you that way in the past too. So God works in us, he works through us, and I love, I'm going to spend a few minutes in verse 10, God delivers us. So God works in us, he works through us, God delivers us. Uh, let's look at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, he will deliver us, or uh, New King James says he does deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. God is not only the God of all comfort, but he is also the God of deliverance. We look at these, uh, the, these phrases here and we see different tenses applied. We see a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. Pastor Kent Hughes states, one thing that you can be sure of as a child of God is that he will deliver you in the midst of your affliction as you call upon him. And isn't that awesome? Now we're in the middle of a trial, we're in the middle of tribulation, we're in the middle of suffering, we're in the middle of, of afflictions. And as a child of God, 
we can call upon Him and He will comfort us and He will deliver us. If you're not saved today, this does not work in your life like that. That's, that's a small reason to trust in God is for comfort. If you're not saved today, I want to encourage you. I want you to hear these words that this doesn't apply to you. This is for children of God. But I want you to know that God wants to adopt you into His family today through salvation, through trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He wants to bring you into His family. So just because this right here specifically doesn't apply to you doesn't mean that it can't in the, in the snap of a finger, in the twinkling of an eye. Trusting in Jesus. So we can call upon Him. Uh, he goes on to say, there's no doubt about this. True. Now listen closely. He will not deliver us from all death situations in the near future of this life. Why? The wages of sin is death. Death is reality. But know that He will ultimately do so because God raises the dead. So this funeral I'm going to and preaching this afternoon was uh, a deacon in my church. 89 years old. He came off the active deacons list about two years ago. 89-year-old man. Last few weeks of his life. Really Father's Day and on, he took a, a big decline. He uh, contracted pneumonia and it went from one side of his body to the other and he just didn't have the strength to continue fighting. Suffering a little bit. But God, is, God didn't, didn't uh, comfort him and deliver him from this illness on this earth. But ultimately, God has comforted him and delivered him from all sickness. From all sickness for all time. Because where he's at now, there will be none. So he did deliver my deacon. So God delivers us. I, I love looking at that, and that is a promise. But I really want to draw your attention to this phrase in verse 10. On Him we have set our hope. On God, the God who raises the dead, we have set our hope. Now what does hope mean to you? If you had a sheet of paper under your chair and I asked you to define hope, what would it mean to you, how would you define hope? If, if y'all were like me in high school, now, students, okay, listen. I often hoped all through school. What do you think I hoped for in school? I hope my teacher grades on a curve. Amen, right? So what's the definition of hope in that comment, in that sentence? I hope my teacher grades on a curve. That definition is wishful thinking. Some of you hoped this morning. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Some of you got up, came to church this morning hoping that this sermon wouldn't be long. <laughs> oh, I got a hand raised. Oh, another one. Some of you hoped in that way. And I'm going to say this too. Wishful thinking. <laughs> that's the definition we use, but that's not the definition of the New Testament. When hope is used in the New Testament, the definition is confident expectation. Oh my goodness, that changes things. That changes how we look at this world. That changes how we look at our faith. It changes everything for us. On Him we have set our hope. We confidently expect God to make good on all of His promises. Every single one. On Him we place our hope. Not on me. Not on my teachers. 
but on God we confidently expect Him to come through on every single one of His promises, and He promises to deliver us. That may be a physical deliverance. It is promised spiritually He will deliver us for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. He will deliver you from an eternal hell. But at times when we do suffer affliction, the temporary deliverance may not be as we want it to be, but He does give us strength to endure this affliction. We can get up tomorrow. I love the song, Because He Lives. Because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. No matter what I walk through in this world, God is there. He has delivered us past tense. He is delivering us present tense. He will ultimately deliver us future tense. On Him we have set our hope that He will do that again. He will deliver us again. So hope, we're looking at wishful thinking versus confident expectation. As we close this morning, I want us to know that we are absolutely blessed through our afflictions. How do we, do we look at our afflictions as a blessing from God? Likely not, at least not immediately. We want to be honest. We look at, we enter afflictions, we have suffering come knocking on our door, and we look inward instead of upward, and we say things like, why me? I don't deserve to go through this. Why does this have to happen? So it comes inward, but what I want to encourage us to do is start looking upward and seeing that God is blessing us. I'm not going to ask you to do backflips when suffering comes our way, because you may have more suffering. I know I would and trying to attempt that. I want us to know that God uses difficult circumstances to make us more like Christ. Don't run away from sufferings that God brings to us because He's working in us. He's going to use those to work through us. God uses difficult circumstances to make us more like Christ. Knowing this doesn't necessarily make our afflictions and our sufferings any easier, but we know that there's a purpose in that. I also want us to know sometimes... Many of you have been there. Many of you are there right now. Some suffering will not go his way as long as we're living on this earth. Some suffering will not go away. The pain of your loss is as fresh today as it was when it happened. And I want you to know that there will be a day that God will ultimately and completely deliver you from this suffering. There is a day when the pain will be removed from you. In Revelation chapter 21, the first five verses we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is a look back and prophecy from Old Testament about God being their God and they being his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is a promise of God for all who believe. God will deliver us, each and every one of us. But I know there are also some here today who have never placed their faith, hope, or trust 
in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if you die without saving faith in Christ, you will spend all of eternity separated uh, from God in a place called hell. And today, hell is not mentioned much. We don't speak of hell much as we talk with others in conversation. Hell is not preached much from the pulpit any longer because it doesn't sit well with the audience and people don't come back to hear about hell. If you find joy in hell, uh, I want to encourage you to search God's heart because he doesn't find joy in hell. When someone dies who has committed an atrocity and uh, killed whatever, mass murders, and someone is found guilty, and we're going to say, yeah, they want to get what they deserve. We all deserve eternal hell. But thanks be unto God that all who believe will not go there. God does not find joy when a sinner dies. We shouldn't either. A lot of people today have positive thoughts on hell. They're, I'm gonna go, I've heard this, literally, I've heard someone say, I'm ready to go to hell because I'm going to drink beer and party it up with Leonard Skinner. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I know you may want that to happen, but that's not going to happen. The Bible has nothing good to say about hell. Uh, the Bible describes hell as a furnace of fire with weeping and gnashing of teeth. This fire is not quenched. Those who reside there will be tormented with fire and brimstone. It is eternal. There is no uh, passing over this gulf. So I want you to know that if you're here today outside of saving faith in Christ Jesus, I have some bad news for you. You are spiritually separated from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, we're all born this way. According to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we're all born spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. Every one of us. I know we think we're good people. But you are born spiritually dead in your sins and trespasses. We're also born slaves to Satan. We are born slaves to this world. We are born slaves to our own sinful passions. And if that's not enough, we're also born objects of God's wrath. How about that next time a newborn baby enters this world? Do we see a newborn baby as these characteristics? This, born, this baby's spiritually dead? What's, what, what are the parents' responsibilities to this? Raise this child up in the admonition of God. Prepare this child's heart to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Mom, dad, grandparents... We're born spiritually dead slaves. We're born objects of God's wrath. This paints a pretty dire picture of humanity. That's bad news. It doesn't stop there. I have worse news for you. There is nothing that you can do to take care of your sin problem. Now, I know we try. And we think if, if, I'm, if my good works outweigh my bad works, God's going to let me into heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that. There is nothing you can do to take care of your sin problem. You cannot pay for your sin problem to go away. The world doesn't have enough money for any of that. You can't do enough good to take care of your sin problem. One issue we have today is, is and we have this through growing up in school, the schools have a grading system, right? What, what constitutes as passing teachers? 70 and above, right? We translate this grading system into our spiritual lives at times, and we think, well, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm all right. I pass. 
right? College students, C's get degrees, okay? If you don't know that yet, you will when you get there. God doesn't grade on a grading system. What does God demand for anyone to enter heaven? Perfection. God demands perfection in order for any of us to gain entrance into heaven. None of us here are perfect. We just talked about we're all born spiritually. We're, we're not even born perfect. This innocent little baby is not perfect. God demands perfection for any of us in heaven. How then can we enter into heaven? So we've got bad news and worse news. Bad news is we're all born spiritually dead. We're all born separated from, from God. Worst news is there's nothing you can do about it. But I do have good news. Oh, and I want you to listen. Jesus did what we cannot do for ourselves. God sent his son to live a sinless, perfect life that we cannot do. He became our substitute on the cross. He took my place and he took your place on the cross. He paid our sin debt in full. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love that phrase. For our sake. For our sake. For my sake. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus I might become the righteousness of God. And you can use that pronoun in that scripture for you as well. For your sake. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. That is the good news. But I also have great news. God offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you came here this morning not knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that God is calling you right now to trust in him. Right now, this very minute, he is calling you to repent and to believe. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And today is the day of salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come forward. And in just a few moments, we'll stand together and have a time of response. If you are lost and you wish to place your trust in Jesus and be saved, I invite you that when we begin singing to come and grab me by the shoulder. I'm going to be standing down here down front. And I invite you to come and grab me by the shoulder and simply say, Chad, I want Jesus to save me. And I'll be glad to lead you and assist you in doing that. There are many others who are here today who are suffering, who are hurting. Many of you are experiencing and going through some tough, difficult times. God is ready, he's willing, he's able to comfort you, and I'm going to ask that you come forward this morning and spend time at the altar seeking his presence in your life, seeking his strength to continue and patiently enduring this affliction for however long he desires you to go through this time. In verse 11, Paul asks his fellow brothers to help him by praying for him so that many will give thanks unto God. Would you come forward today and pray for those who are suffering persecution around this world? 
that our Father, the God of all comfort, will strengthen them to endure as many are taking the gospel to unreached people groups, as many as taking the gospel across the street in your own neighborhood. Would you come forward and pray for those who are going through suffering? How will you respond today? If you're not saved, I'd love to speak with you. Today is the day of salvation. Father, you are holy. And we are not. But Father, help us remember who you are in our lives, that we have a high view of, of you, that we strive for this holiness without which we won't see you. Father, help us to pursue Jesus as hard and as fast with all energy that we ever have at all times. So if we realize that we haven't been following Jesus today, I pray that today we confess and repent. Father, find us faithful as we respond to the message today. Find us faithful as we leave this building that what we hear is we don't leave here, but we take it with us and apply it to our lives that we trust in you as the source of all comfort, that you're working in us and that you're working through us. Help us not to uh, be so self-serving and self-seeking, God, that we look for to be comfortable, that we know that you do not comfort us to make us comfortable. So, Father, thank you for the strength to endure. In Christ's name, amen.